Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you want to turn to, uh, if you want to turn someplace in your Bible, if you want to turn to the book of Micah in the Old Testament, we'll begin, we'll go get there ultimately. We're going to be all over again like we were last week. Uh, if you turn to Micah chapter 5, we'll, we'll be, uh, uh, first verse we'll be talking about is verse 2. But let me begin by setting a scene for you. You know, there, there's something about Christmas. Christmas has this great mystery. In fact, I believe that Christmas is probably the greatest mystery of all history. I, I believe what happened in that manger... What happened in Bethlehem, I don't think we really can even truly fathom the effect and the importance of that time. You see, the Bible is a story about people, the people of God, starting in Genesis and continuing all the way through the writings, finishing up in Micah or Malachi, we, we see God interacting with his people. And what he does is, amidst all these things going on in their lives, he provides them with the hope of the Messiah, the Savior. And then all of a sudden, after the book of Malachi, we have 400 years of silence. No prophets. Until... John the Baptist and Jesus break onto the scene. But during those 400 years, God is silent. No prophets are spoken. Nothing is, nothing is at least written into the canon. There are some writings that come from that time period, which are very interesting. If you want to read something about the intertestamental times, you can read those. The Jewish writers were very proliferant during that time, but none of it is, none of it is considered inspired by God. But during these 400 years, where God seems to be silent, God is definitely not inactive. He is still moving. So what happens? What happens during these 400 years of silence? Well, the world is changing. Things are, are, are moving along. Things are happening. You know, we know what happened because, we, 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 of course, we can look back and see through history, but we can also see in Scripture where a lot of the things that happened between the time of Malachi and the coming of John the Baptist and Jesus, we can see in Daniel especially, we can see what was prophesied to occur, but the world is changing. Multiple rulers from different nations would take over and rule, and, and the, the borders would change, and the, and the nations would change. And in the process, I, I think what was happening was the world was attempting to silence the people of God. If, if you remember... If you know anything about the Jewish people and why God brought them into the promised land, ultimately they were to be priests to the world. They were to show the world God. But the world didn't want to hear it. And the world tried to silence them. And obviously, they also silenced themselves with their, their adultery to the things of this world, to the gods of this world. But in the process of these 400 years, Greek became the common language of the world. And, and if you say, well, yeah, what's the big deal about it? Greek is a very descriptive language. Greek is the perfect language for the, for the Bible. 
for the New Testament because the words are extremely descriptive and they are, when how they're used determines what they mean. So what a great language to actually have the Bible, the New Testament, written in. It was perfect. But the Greek language has come into play, into the world as the common language, similar to what English is today. And ultimately, Rome became an empire who built roads. And some of those roads are still in existence today. You can still go and see in parts of Turkey, in the Middle East, you can see the actual cobblestone that was laid by the Romans. So these roads connected people. These roads connected societies and cultures and allowed things to be communicated in an easier way, in a safer way. And what is interesting is these roads one day would assist in the spread of the gospel message of of Jesus of Nazareth. And see, even during this time, during this time of of when Israel has been dispersed into the world, into the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and then they come back, and then then another nation comes in and takes them over, and then they're dispersed again. During all this time, Israel still hangs on to this hope of a Messiah that was going to come and rescue them. You see, the world was set. The world was ready. It was the perfect time for the Messiah to come. God had set it all up. While the world is going around thinking that they're in control, that they're the ones who are saying what happens, God is in the background saying, no, all this is going to work for my glory. Which gives us hope today. All the stuff that's going on in our world right now, all the insanity, all of the fear, all of the, all of the separation, God is going to use for his advantage. The world's ready. We saw last week how the Messiah would be of the line of David. But there were some problems in that line, so God made a way that the Messiah would be born of a virgin who was not of the descendant of Jeconiah, who had been cursed. And that this virgin would conceive and have a child who was God in the flesh, Emmanuel. But see, the one thing that God never told his people was when the Messiah would come. I guess I think that's a, that's a pattern for God. He doesn't always tell us when Messiah is going to come. Because we know he's coming back again, but he has not told us when. He's given us all the signs. All the signs were there back in the probably about 2 or 3 B.C. It was time for the Messiah. But the people missed it. We all know the story. We all are familiar, should be familiar with the Christmas story. Um, I'm a I'm a stickler for facts and truths. We, we, we do, I hope we all do understand that Jesus was not born on December 25th. Okay? It was probably sometime in September of August, or August, but it doesn't matter. That's a minor point. Because we do know that he was born in Bethlehem. We go back to the book of Micah where God revealed where that would occur. Micah 5.2. It says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, 
are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Now you might wonder why it says Bethlehem Ephrathah. Well, there were two Bethlehems. Bethlehem Ephrathah was in Judah. The other one is north in the in Galilee. But the interesting thing, if we look at the story of, of where what Bethlehem is, we look at the truth of it, is, is the fact that Bethlehem was known as the city of David. And obviously, since the Messiah was going to be from the line of David, what a perfect place for his descendant, the final king, to be born. It was David's family's home. It was a place where he was anointed by Samuel to be king. It's the place where Rachel, Jacob's wife, died and was buried. In fact, they say today the tomb is still there. If you can believe everything that's been, that, that they do there, I'm, I'm not so certain that they know exactly. And we'll talk a little bit more about some of the things of today. See, the city itself is, is a symbol of dynasty. And we said that Messiah last week, said Messiah must be of the line of David. That's David's dynasty. David's kingdom was established forever. So he had to be born. The Messiah must be born in Bethlehem. Under Solomon and later under Rehoboam, Bethlehem was expanded. It was actually expanded into a fortress because of its proximity to Jerusalem. It was a place where it, they, it could protect the city. What is also interesting about Bethlehem, if you, if you know anything about languages, you understand that Bethlehem actually means house of bread. Because reason why is because it was really close to the places where there was a lot of wheat grown. And this was a place they would bring the wheat to be processed for them to, to make bread. This is what John says. I'm going to read this in John 6, 50 to 51. It says, this is the bread that comes down from heaven. He's talking about Christ. So that one may eat of it and not die. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. See, bread is an essential part of life. Which, you know... I don't know this as a fact, and I'm just speculating. You know, there's a lot of people, including my wife, who can't eat bread because of the gluten. But see, the bread has always been a part of life. Jesus says that he himself is the foundation of our spiritual life. It's from this house of bread, this city called Bethlehem, this house of bread, that the bread of life comes into the world. Jesus the Messiah born. Why? So that you and I could have life. More than a hundred people would return from Babylon in exile and they would, would, would go to Bethlehem to begin process of rebuilding the town. But the town continued to diminish in importance. So that by the time of the writing of Micah, it was just a little village. It had once been a fortress, but now it's a village. But we also have to understand that this is not Jesus' hometown. It's where he was born, but it's not where he was raised. If we go to the account of the story of Christ, 
story of Christmas in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration from Quirinius, was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David. And we saw last week that Mary was also of that lineage, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So Joseph must go. He must register for taxes. That's what the whole reason for a census is, to determine how much taxes are going to be paid, by what area. He must register with the Roman Empire, and he has to travel south, and he has to go to Bethlehem. He lives in Nazareth, which is 70 miles from Bethlehem. About five mile, Bethlehem is about five miles outside of south, south of Jerusalem. And this journey at that time would take about five days. We could cover that distance in an hour if we did the speed limit. Quicker if we didn't. Five days of journey. And Mary, of course, was his wife. We talked about that, how when somebody is going to get married, there's a year between when they, they are engaged and when they actually consummate the marriage and have the marriage ceremony. But this time she is still just, we, we think that she was, they may have not, have, they had just been betrothed. They haven't been officially married yet, but he must take her with him. And, of course, she is pregnant at that time. See, according to the prophets and according to God, it was in Bethlehem that the Messiah must be born. So think about this. How, is, how, does, God get, how does God get Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Well, pretty easy. He convinces the governor and convinces Rome to do a census. He tells them to do it, and they do it. And so Joseph will travel all the way with Mary for 70 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, fulfilling the words of the prophet Micah. Now, obviously, we would think that um, the place a king should be born would be in the capital, would be in Jerusalem. In fact, uh, the Sunday after Christmas, we'll talk about uh, why that didn't happen. We'll talk about what, why people expected it to be Jerusalem. But the place that the, that the Messiah was going to be born was not going to be a palace. But it was going to be a lowly stable amongst animals. Today, if, if you go to Bethlehem, and, and you'll see some pictures here of Bethlehem, of the Church of the Nativity, there is a church in Bethlehem that they declare um, is the birthplace of, of Christ. We don't know that. It was told to Constantine's mother um, when Constantine, Constantine became a Christian, and so they built this church, and there is this little hole you go into there, little tunnel, and you go downstairs, and in the floor is a star as you see in the center picture, and that is supposedly where Jesus was born. People travel there constantly. What's interesting is Bethlehem is now under the control of the Palestinians, but they still let Christians come in and go. But it's not a really a safe place to be um, at all times. But in the manger, marked around there is this, around the star is this in Latin, Hicti Virgina Maria 
Jesus Christus natus est, which means here Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. And people will go and they'll kiss it and they'll pay homage to it and light candles to it. And But that's supposedly, that's what it is today. A little different than it was back in the time of Christ. Like I said, I don't know if that's legitimate. It doesn't matter because we don't need to go there to pay homage to Christ because we know he was born in Bethlehem in a stable according to the prophet to fulfill the prophet Micah. Now, before Jesus and or before Joseph and, and Mary took their journey to Bethlehem, Mary wants to go and visit her cousin Elizabeth. So we, we know that, that Gabriel comes to, to Mary and he, he tells her that she's blessed. She doesn't quite understand it. He drops this bomb on her that she's going to be supernaturally pregnant with the Messiah. And then he tells her to prove it to her. She t- he tells her some details about her cousin Elizabeth. In the book of Luke, chapter 1, it says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing would be impossible with God. Because what, what happens is Mary asks, asks Gabriel, says, how is this possible? How is it possible that I could be pregnant when I have not been with a man? She doubts. And Gabriel reveals to her how it's possible, because with God, all things are possible. And he gives her the details about what God is doing, not just with her, but with those around her. And her response is a complete 180-degree turn from her doubts. Look what her response is in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I always like to compare Mary's response to Moses' response. Moses, when he was told to go and to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, his first response is, "Um, I can't do it. I don't speak well. Choose somebody else. But when Mary realized what God was doing, she says, may it be done with me as you say. I'm your servant. Mary believes. But again, she still, she wants to see. She wants to see what God is doing. So she travels to see her cousin. And it's likely that Elizabeth and her her cousin was living somewhere around Jerusalem. In fact, it says that she went to the hills of Judah. Because Zechariah, which was Elizabeth's husband, was a priest. It was his time to burn incense in the temple. God had ordained that Elijah would come before the day of the Lord comes, and this is what he wrote, had Malachi write in Malachi 4, 5 through 6, is, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So in the process that we see in that Mary is on her way to see Elizabeth, this was actually had, this was after, so now we're jumping back, because remember it says, that the angel says that she is now six months along, six months before this time that Mary is told, 
an angel appeared to Zechariah. Zechariah enters the temple to, be, to do his normal incense, that he would burn incense in the temple. Incense are pleasing to the, to the nose of God, and it's, just, it's a part of a religious ceremony of just making sure everything smells nice, and it's burning, it's, it symbolizes the prayers of, of the people rising to God. And he's burning the incense, and here's what happens to him. We see it in Luke 1. It says, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And the next verse, I don't think really captures probably the way Zechariah felt. Because here's what it says. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. I think that word troubled is probably, it's probably correct translation, but I don't think it fully gives emphasis to what really. If we go back to the original Greek word, it would really be even more emphasis on the fact that he was troubled. Because what it says, it says, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the, and the, of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now the, the name John in Hebrew means gift of Yahweh. Gift of Yahweh. And John would definitely be a gift to this couple who was beyond the years of normally having children. But the thing about Elizabeth and Zechariah was that they were faithful to God. They were faithful to God and his commandments. But again, Zechariah doubts. He doubts Gabriel. So what happens is the Gabriel <laughs> tells him that, well, since you doubt me, since you doubt what God's going to do, we're going, you're not going to be able to speak until John is born. So now, Zechariah comes out of the temple and can't speak. And they know that he has seen a vision. And until John is born, he will not speak. But now we jump back to where Mary is on her way. She's, she's going to see Elizabeth. And she walks into the home. And Luke records in verse 40 of chapter 1. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I want you to understand that these are prophecies being fulfilled. Gabriel told, he told, first of all, he told Zechariah that Elizabeth would be pregnant. That got fulfilled, short term, real quick. He t Gabriel told Mary that she would be with child. It happened. And here, by this time, I'm sure that, you know, Elizabeth had no idea that Mary was pregnant and that it was the Messiah. And yet John 
in her belly, because remember what the, what the angel told Zechariah, that he will, be, he will be filled with the Lord even in the womb. From the womb he will do this. What happens? The baby jumps when he hears Mary's voice. Again, fulfillment of prophecy. And then Elizabeth prophesies, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. She prophesies of the honor that has been placed on Mary as the mother of the Messiah. And when John is born, Zechariah will prophesy about the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Because this is what he says. When, when John is born, Zechariah says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. See, the Old Testament prophecy said that the Messiah would come, and the Messiah wasn't coming just to take over and, and to rule. The Messiah was coming to redeem his people. And, and a lot of people missed that because they were so focused on the, the today, on the problems that they were having with Rome, with, all the, with the Greeks, with, with the Babylonians, with the Assyrians, all the history of them being captured and being taken into captivity, that was their focus. And what they missed completely, but the reason why the Messiah was coming was for salvation. But not everybody missed it. See, last week I, I talked about the fact that Jesus was going to be God incarnate. He was going to be God in the flesh. And we looked at the prophecies about the Messiah and how he would be God in the flesh. And I, I want to explore that a little bit further. Because this idea of Emmanuel is a mystery. So we're going to go a little bit deeper. Ed was asking me this morning, and I'll, I'll kind of give you what I told him. He was asking me about why is it sometimes Emmanuel with an E and Emmanuel with an I? It's a language thing. The I is a transliteration of the Hebrew, and the E is Greek. So it just depends on where they took it from, but it means the same thing. So up this time, you know, the, the Creator and His creation had been separate. From the garden, when, when Adam and Eve fell, God is now separated. They were thrown out of the garden. There is this distance between God and his people. There are some people who are close to God. You know, Noah walked with God. Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more. He, he was really with God then all the time. So we, we have these times, and David was a man after God's own heart, and, and I'm sure he was, felt, he felt the presence of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God, but there is this separation that's happening between God and man and his creation. But that's all going to end with the birth of Christ. In Matthew, we're told that all this was happening to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. Matthew 1, 22 says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken of by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus was going to be fulfilling prophecy because he was literally going to be God with us. Fully human, yet fully God. A mystery. How does he do that? 
The Messiah came to live amongst his people, and he came to live as one of us. Why? So that we know from Hebrews, it was because so that he would know what it meant to be tempted. So that we do not just have a high priest who has no clue or idea what it's like to be human. We have a Savior who came and was human and died and suffered just like we do. He understands. He has compassion on us. Jesus was the living expression of the incarnation, a miracle of the Son of God coming before as a human and making his home with us. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.16, he says, God, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And then the Apostle John gives this beautiful description of what it means to be Emmanuel. In 1 John, I mean John 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks up before me, because He was before me. Which would have been kind of confusing for people who knew John and Jesus because John was six months older than Christ. Because said, you know, when Mary was told she was going to be pregnant, Elizabeth was six months along. And here's John saying, no, he came before me. Interesting. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus is Emmanuel. Not just, not just this image of God. You know, we are, we are the image of God, and I don't mean that we look like God. I mean, we are his representatives here on this earth. We are, we are to be mirroring God. We are to be God to those around us. We're to Jesus. We're to proclaim God to those around us, and they're supposed to see God in us. That's our job as imagers of God. But Jesus was more than that. He wasn't just an image. He wasn't just a partial reflection. He was the full revelation of God, the fullness of God. Paul tells the church of Colossae, he says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Jesus left heaven. He took the form of a human body, a human servant, so that that he could identify with us in our day-to-day struggles. As I said, Hebrews tells us we don't have just a high priest who's unable to see and unable to sympathize with us. We have somebody who was tempted and yet didn't sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus was sent to us to live among us, to die on a cross for us, And it is through Emmanuel's bloodshed on the cross that we are reconciled to God. We're no longer separated. There's no longer a separation between us and God. Paul tells the Romans, the church in Rome, he says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. See, Emmanuel will be with us forever. He promised. 
before Jesus ascended into heaven, after his death and resurrection, he says, and he gives the great commission, he says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is always with us. He is God with us. And there's nothing that can separate us. God chose the perfect time in history for Jesus to come, for Emmanuel to come. People were speaking a common language. The roads were built, ready for the gospel message to go out between Europe and the Middle East, Asia, Africa. Everything was in place so that the message of the Savior could reach all people. So now after 400 years of silence, Jesus, God's very own Son, the Savior of the world, was about to arrive as a baby born in a stable in the lowly little town of Bethlehem. The house of bread, the city of kings. The mystery of Christmas is Jesus. God revealed in a person. And this is the good news that leads us to worship him. Thank you for joining Living Faith on our YouTube channel. My prayer is that this message today has encouraged you and strengthened your faith in Jesus Christ. We would love to connect with you, so please subscribe to our channel and hit the bell so that you get updated when we add a new message. Also, please leave any comments you might have in the comments section. We would love you to join us live for our service on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We hope you have a great day today. God bless.